Children are dismissed to Children's Church, and we are, it's going to be a smattering of text, so we're going to, I'm going to read Judges 21, 25, and a few texts from Proverbs, and we'll, we'll end up our series. So what we've been doing, right, we, we just finished the book of Judges officially. We did the, the, the last three chapters in one shot. But what I want to do is just talk about some of the, the things you're, the book makes you long for as we uh, finish up this book. Because when you get done, Judges, it's so ugly. <laughs> uh, it's, last week's title was Lessons from a Biblical Horror Story. Uh, it's, it's so ugly, you long for somebody to have some semblance of self-control. And so that's what we're going to look at this week. And the next week, we'll look at the beauty of the king uh, that we do have. And so... Let's read our text and we will pray. This week we're going to talk about self-control. Start with Judges 21. This is the word of our God. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I'm going to skip to Proverbs 3. I'm adding one. Uh, 3, 5 through 7, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and re- refreshment to your bones. In Proverbs eighteen ten, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. In Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and given to us in love. Uh, Let's pray together. Our Father God in heaven, we ask this morning that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our hearts, uh, in our minds, and in our lives as we hear you speak to us, and that that you would cultivate in us a deeper trust in Jesus our King so that we might live well by grace in your world. Uh, Make us a wise people through what we do today. And so Holy Spirit, we ask you to come to exalt Jesus and grow us in this gift of self-control as we as we consider who Jesus is. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Like I said, last week we looked at this biblical horror story as we we looked at Judges chapter 19 through 21. And if you're not familiar with it, it is ugly. I mean, it's all kinds of people just taking whatever they want because it looks good to them. Uh, You have cheating spouses. You have... People taking towns violently because it's convenient for them. Uh, you have God's people stealing women, stealing wives. I mean, just awful stuff. And it, the, the culminating picture for me, or the most haunting one, is a grown man just slamming themselves into the door, screaming, give me what I want now. And the refrain, the haunting refrain, the way this book ends is, there was no king in Israel, and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. I mean, it's the obvious picture that there is nobody. <laughs> it's, it's the lack of self-control, the lack of walls, the lack of boundaries 
the lack of uh, faith in the Lord as creator and king and judge that the, the writer to the judges wants you to wrestle with. That if you reject a God who made you and try and come up with a life based on, your own, based on how you see, it doesn't end well, it gets ugly. And so the question we're going to look at today is, um, really, can you have the freedom to do what you want right, without any constraints and still have self-control? I mean, the writer of the judges seems to argue against that. Because right? when your veins are th literally throbbing with desire and it's only you, on it's only up to you to stop it. And so that's, that's why we've got to look at this thing called self-control. Because I'm sure if, if, we were, if we had the, the courage to be honest, we would all have stories when self-control got away with us, got away from us. It could be, maybe for you it's small and mundane, just bad habits that aren't really that bad, but they still control you. Uh, it could be something like for me, like overeating chocolate and peanut butter together. <laughs> Uh, leaves you with a stomach ache, speaking from experience, starting at age like three or four. <laughs> it took my son's peanut allergy to help put some controls in my life. <laughs> right? Th those are harmless examples, uh, to other people anyway. But there's also those destructive patterns that we have, uh, explosive anger, gluttony, sexual immorality, um, disrespect, anxiety, despair, just... DVDs of things that happen in our life that we can't stop replaying, that we wish we could erase, but it just keeps coming back. Uh, things we confess every week that we wish we could change. I mean, th these are things where we, we keep praying and longing for self-control. And part of the seed of that is, is really pushing out this idea that I am my own master and that I can do what is right in my own eyes. That's what we're trying to put to death. And so the end of Judges shows us we need self-control, but it doesn't show us where to get it from. And so that's why we're jumping into Proverbs, because Proverbs has a lot of helpful thoughts. So let's start. I want to show you how you get from Judges to Proverbs, that you're supposed to do that. I think it's in how the scriptures are written. I want you to see the beauty and unity of the Bible, and then we're going to look at self-control. Um, first, we have echoes of Eden and Judges. Just, just hear what the writer of the Judges is doing. He's using a phrase, an idea, that you find in both Genesis and Proverbs. It, it, in the, the conclusion from chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 21, it's, it's repeated. There, there is no king, and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. They, they do what they can see, because it looks good to them. And that phrase is a deliberate replay or echo of a very familiar story back in Eden, the fall. Adam and Eve. When, and so what it's... What the writer of the Judges is calling you to remember uh, is, is Israel in Judges, like Adam, has, faith, has broken the covenant. They have sinned and dealt faithlessly with a good God who is faithful because of how they see. Right. That the eyes are the path to our, our desires, and then we just take it. Human beings have been repeating that pattern over and over and over again. And so if you think about Genesis 3, the familiar story of the fall, and you remember, what moved Eve to eat? To take the fruit that God commanded, don't do it because you will learn good and evil and you will surely die. It says she saw that the tree was good for food. She saw that it was a delight for her eyes. She saw uh, that it would make her wise. 
And then she took it, and then she ate it, and she gave it to her husband, who also took it and ate it. And you should hear a familiar refrain, right? Because it has all to do with eyes and taking. And that's what you have over and over again in Judges is in ugly ways. They see something that looks good and just take it regardless of the cost. All right. So Adam and Eve, they, they exchange being constrained by God's love for them to a life where they are controlled only by what they see and what they love themselves. That's what sin does. And if you continue through Genesis, you get to Genesis 4, this is what we're called to do. It's an amazing story. If we had, if we had more time, I would show you how Genesis 4 and Genesis 3 have a lot of connections. But Cain, the first child born of Adam and Eve, He's told, after getting jealous of his brother, look out, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And what Cain is told is control what you desire, put a leash on your desires, because if you don't control what you desire, this animal-like beast that's hidden within, this thing we call sin and selfishness, it's going to rule over you. Of course, we know the story, Cain didn't put it to death. He commits murder. He kills his brother for the lack of self-control, the inability to control what he wants. And so, oh, you see the connections here. Judges, doing what is right in your own eyes, living for yourself, all the emphasis on seeing, doing good or evil, uh, taking what looks good to your eyes. It's echoes of Genesis connecting you to the big story. It's saying, just imagine what it would be like if you have a whole society of people living like that. It's not pretty. And then you get the connection to Proverbs. Because you find Proverbs knows this, has, has meditated and marinated in it, and saying the way to live wisely in God's world is you need to be able to fight against that impulse in you, that those destructive desires. And you're going to find all throughout Proverbs, seeing, uh, fearing God to protect you from evil, doing what is right in your own eyes, the danger of that, all those words are just littered throughout that wisdom to live well in God's world, and this is the point. Uh, you have to fear the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. Because doing what is right in your own eyes, living for yourself, doesn't go well for you or your neighbor. So, now just here's a couple of it. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It'll actually, well, the literal Hebrew word is your belly button. Your belly button's going to thank you when, you when you fear the Lord. But I think what it's talking about, it's, it's referring to your stomach as a part of you, of your craving. If you never say no to unhealthy things, your belly button stretches. <laughs> and it's, it's saying, literally, it's going to heal your body. It's, it's, it's help for you physically to, ex to experience self-control. Because we all know people who... Um, well, any kind of addiction, it messes you up physically. And that's the point. Uh, Proverbs 21, too. All our ways seem right in our own eyes, but the Lord sees our heart. Meaning just because it looks good to us to, may not necessarily mean that it's good for God and for anyone else. And so that's the point. Is when, you, when Judges 21, 25 says, everyone's doing what they see, they live only by their eyes not by faith. It's a nation of fools, a community of fools who are being ruled by their own wants and needs, and the result is ugly, it's chaos, it's destruction. Self-control just becomes an illusion. 
that they've lost it. And so, with that introduction, this is telling you and I, we need the wisdom of Proverbs, we need God's wisdom to start to grow in self-control. So we need the wisdom of Proverbs to teach us the power of God-centered self-control. And I've called this sermon based on Proverbs 25, 28, uh, restoring our broken down walls, because the image in Proverbs 25, 28, it says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And it's a picture of a person who's built a life for themselves, built walls to protect themselves, to control their desires, to keep it caged, so to speak, but they've come crashing down, and when a, when a city has no walls, anybody can march in and take whatever they want, and you can get out and take whatever you want. I mean, it's this picture of there are no restraints. You are easily going, you're going to be ensnared easily by anything that happens to you. You have no protection. Uh, anything that happens is going to inflame your desires, your angers, your fears, your anxieties, your despairs, because all the walls are down. And so let's, let's start by looking at our construction projects. How do you build walls? Because it's not like Christians are the only people trying to get self-control and master themselves. How do, pe- how do ordinary people build walls to control themselves without a God? How do you make decisions every day? What controls your decision-making? The, the socks that you put on? Uh, to what time you should get out of bed in the morning, to what word should you use in that uncomfortable conversation with a coworker. I mean, what really drives at all the decisions you make? And according to Proverbs, it's one thing. It's your spirit, your, your loves. Because right? in 20, verse 28 of Proverbs 25, and it's all the way through Proverbs, self-control is a phrase saying to... It's a Hebrew phrase, to restrain your spirit, uh, to, restri- to control your desires, uh, to control your loves. This is what you make, this is what, how everybody makes their decision. I make and choose what I want because I want it, because I love it. Right. So if you have self-control, you have mastered and ordered uh, your loves, if I could put it that way. And you're not being carried away by those loves like Jeremiah would, would put it, that, yeah, like a wild donkey in heat, just following your desires wherever they take you. Right. Self-control, this is the image. Control your temper, your emotions, your actions, your thoughts. All of that is restraining your spirit, who you are, your heart, putting a leash on your loves, if I could put it that way. Um, so like Augustine, the theologian, he's, he's really good at meditating on this idea uh, he says, wherever I, this is, I'm paraphrasing him here, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm thinking of or dreaming of, my loves, my desires have carried me here. What I want has gotten me into this current predicament, whatever that is. <laughs> or successes, right? It's not all bad. You never do what you do not want to do most in that moment. Right? Even if someone puts a gun to your head, <laughs> right? You want to live. So you can't blame them for making you do something. You make the choice, right? We always do what we love most. Because this is, I think, what it, what it includes being, being human and what Proverbs is getting at and what the Scriptures are getting at. You're not just a brain on legs. 
Right? You're, human beings, we, we, we're called to think, but we're lovers by God's design. That's, that's why the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That the, the commandments, those commandments to be lovers, um, are given by a God who is love, who is slow to anger, and just overflowing with steadfast love. And so you tie all that together. Self-control is the ability to rule your spirit, to rule over your desires, to have your loves ruled by God's love for you. That's a good summary of the Ten Commandments. God loved you first. Now here's how you love him. Now, when you get to Proverbs 18, 11, it shows us how normal people, how ordinary human beings, uh, this is how we cultivate self-control in our life, how we at least imagine ourselves to do so. It says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, and it's like a high wall in his imagination. We're in Proverbs, so you have to use your imagination a lot. Uh, this is, it just bombards you with different pictures. But use the imagery. You have somebody like you and me, a wealthy person. Right? We're, we're comfortable. Uh, use, we use money to build a life, a city, so to speak, in our heads, a, a life that is safe, that is good, that is healthy. We want our life to be a great place to live. And the image is, is, is that money, that wealth, is this rich person's security. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a high wall that they have constructed in their mind to control their loves. This is their goal in life, but also to protect it. And it's what we do. It's what I do. I'm always using my imagination, my thoughts, to, to imagine what I want my life to be because of what I love, and then I aim for it. And in my head, those walls are unscalable until bad things happen. <laughs> right? I know the image is foreign because we don't live in, uh, in places where we need city walls to keep us safe. And for us, city walls are things we go to to take pictures of as tourists because in, in Europe, right, they look beautiful, the, the ruins. But walls, they were there to, to keep you safe, to give you the freedom to live a life well. And so verse, Proverbs 18 is saying, this is what people do. This is how we live our life. We play SimCity. You ever play that game, SimCity? You just, you're constantly constructing something in your imagination. A life that you think you will love and that looks good to me. Living life, doing what is right in my own eyes. And the higher the walls are, the safer you think you'll be. The problem is it's all in our head. That's, that's why I've been worried about this sermon, because I understand it because it's in my head. And we're talking about imagination. But it's this idea. That those of us, Americans, we're Westerners, who live for money, we love it and live for it because we can see it. And we can touch it. And you can literally feel the effects of being surrounded by it. We live, we have nice clothes. Uh, we're comfortable. We have entertainment. We have the ability to pursue a guy or a girl, to take care of our children, to put food on the table. Uh, we have these things called 401ks and Social Security. And we have bank accounts. All this is high walls that we imagine for ourselves to keep us safe. Where we can happily live for what we love. It's, it's a construction project. 
living life for ourselves in our imagination. It sounds wonderful if, if that's all it took. But even in the game SimCity, bad things happen. <laughs> in real life, Proverbs 18.10, which you're supposed to contrast 18.11 with, says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. And it, it paints this picture of the Lord being a fortress behind the city walls. And the whole reason you would need a strong tower is because your high walls and your imagination aren't enough to keep you safe. In the ancient world, when you're, you were attacked, that's when you would run to the tower. Right? When people are shooting, bows and, shooting arrows at you or screaming with a sword, you don't yawn and go back to work. You, you book it. Right? In Judges 9, we read about it. When Abimelech was coming, he was a scary dude. Everybody ran into the tower. And that's when Abimelech met his end. He got the crushed by that big stone because a tower is a safe place. And so what Proverbs 18.10 is just being real and honest. All those things that you live for, that you love, uh, that nice little world you're building in your head and your imagination, uh, we know this by experience if you lived any length of time in this real world. But it's saying what you love will be threatened. It will come under attack. And the righteous know this. Those who know God, run to him. Right. The walls will come crumbling down, and that's the warning of Proverbs. Right. I mean, it could be inside us. It could ruin our lives. It could be outside us. In Judges 19, it's outside. You've got the desires of other people ruining this perfect world where they're hurling themselves violently against a door. Um, other people lacking self-control hurts us in all kinds of ways. Psalm 39 is pretty blunt about this. I was reading this this morning. It says we're dying. Our lives are like a vapor. Our construction projects last like this in our lives. And it says, God, you consume what is dear to us, what we love, like a moth. And then you've got to deal with your own self. Who do you live with in that city in which is, you've constructed in your head? Part of what tears down these high walls is my own desires, taking that rock out of the way because I know there's something I shouldn't want, but I want it anyway, and I'm going to get at it, and eventually I'm just going to tear the whole wall down until I get it. And so here's, the, here's all, I'm going to tie all this together. Right, we're, we're talking about cultivating a life of self-control, but you really have to understand that you live for what you love. And what you love is not safe. And where do you run when those high walls you've imagined aren't so high and aren't so secure and it turns out you're the one who's actually torn the whole thing apart? That's when the anger comes in and the anxiety and the panic and the frustration that my life is not what I imagined it to be, especially when I was 18 or 5 and I wanted to be a fireman. Right? So I'm trying to show you and, and help you feel what Proverbs is, is teaching you. It's wisdom. Uh, that self-control doesn't take place in, this, uh, in a vacuum where there is no desire. We're not Stoics. No, our desires are always out there raging and in conflict with other people wanting what we have. And in that context, we're called in this battle to leash our loves 
to love God and to love our neighbor. So where do you run? How do you live with these broken down walls? How do you cultivate self-control? And this, were the second, this is Proverbs 25, 28. We're jumping around here. But it, like I said, it says, A city without walls is a man without self-control. Uh, it's, like I said, uh, the whole reason people would live in a city and construct walls was to protect from foreign invading armies. And a city without walls meant a foreign army could just walk in Right? Your business day is gone when they take all of your goods. A breach, any kind of breach in the wall meant you were not safe. You needed a high wall, a fortress, an impenetrable wall. That's what you need. And a person without self-control means anything at any time can ruin your whole day. <laughs> That's the picture. Without walls, anything can walk in and take control of your life and ruin your love. And let me flip it around, because I'm trying to get you to feel the tension and how difficult this is. Proverbs 16.32 says something pretty astounding. It says, whoever is slow to anger, if you can control your anger, get a, get a grip on your anger. You're, you're better than a mighty warrior. You're better than Thor or Captain America or the Incredible Hulk, right? You're, you're better than these, these city-taking warriors. The one who has self-control, says the... Proverbs teacher is the one who rules his spirit. There's that language, ruling your spirit. You're better than a man who can conquer a city. Saying you are more human, you are a better person, you are more a person as God intended if you have self-control, greater than any kind of victory or success. Right, Samson carrying a city gate, we talked about that, 50 miles, this impressive feat of strength. What's even greater is a person who can control their wants, their desires, their emotions, their anxieties, their anger, their despair, their discipline, how you spend your money, your habits. A greater feat of strength is ruling yourself. And it doesn't take much imagination to see how this works, does it? You see it inside the church. You see it outside the church. I'll pick on the church. Um, le famous Christian leaders who have written books, who have built massive churches and followings, kingdoms, all in the name of Christ, who turned out to uh, be domineering, uh, to be cruel leaders, who were those who lusted, who were those who were leering, because they didn't, all that victory, all that apparent outside strength, they were like a city without walls. Came crumbling down. All right. I think we get it. When my kids, I'll, I'll pick on me, right? when my three-year-old can make me angry, inordinately angry over something small, <laughs> it's like he's just conquered my city. Right? A three-year-old should not be able to conquer a wall and take a whole city by himself, but they do <laughs> because we get frustrated. Because there's no walls to control the anger. There's no pause to say, okay, what is really happening here? I mean, just look at yourself and look at other people. What makes you angry like that? Road rage, politics, people who don't think like this, or they aren't doing what we want. <laughs> it's like a city without walls. See, the picture is 
If you do not have self-control, a city without walls is just a disaster. It's every person living for themselves. There's no more market. There's no more economy. You have to scavenge for food. It's just you scraping to get what you want to live for your loves. You have no control. Here's another picture of self, lack of self-control in, in verse 20, 27 of Proverbs 25. This is the part of the lack of self-control we all understand. This is addiction-type language. It's not good to eat too much honey. It's not good to overeat. It's not good to binge on good things. It's not good to uh, sit for 12 hours because you couldn't turn off Netflix or video games or whatever it might be. Right? It's self-control is learning not to binge on what is unhealthy for you. It could be too much screen time or alcohol or drugs or being living for your emotions or praise or for anything. If you love anything too much, that's the image, you're going to be sick. It's not good for someone to eat too much honey, which is a good gift. It's not good to live for God's good gifts alone. So I put all this together. I know it's a lot. It's bombarding your imagination. But I'm trying to get you to feel... Uh, what wisdom looks like from the other side of things, to feel what judges showed us, that if I only do what is right in my own eyes, self-control is up to me, and it's only up to me in my imagination. And my imagination is not a safe place. Control what you love. Put your loves on a leash. Put your ego in chains so that you order your life well. Don't consume too much. You've got you to order your life so you love the right things so that you don't crush the people around you because you're living for the wrong things. I mean, do all this because it's on you. And then the, the flip side of, <laughs> of not consuming too much honey is the other side of verse 27 where it says, it's just not glorious to seek your own glory. And glory is about significance. It's about weight. It's about importance. And it's saying, if you live to only do what is right in your own eyes, to seek your own glory, to live for your, your own desires, you don't become greater and more glorious. You actually become smaller. Right? It's not important to live for your own self-importance. Right. So, talked about the, just the, the reality we need self-control, and we live in a world where this is difficult. So where do you run to and run for to start the journey? To start, is there any place that's safe? I mean, that's, that's where we're left. Where do you find self-control? And this is the last point. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to run into the name of the Lord, who is an unbreachable tower fortress. It's Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. How do you do that? Well, when you are under attack, when your loves are under attack and your loves are trying to get you to do something, uh, just use that imagery of being under attack. It's, it's instinct to run. Right? When you're in danger, when you're in temptation, you don't slow down, you, you're, you run after it. And so you're supposed to run into the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord... Was, the way, was a way of talking about who God really is. And see, what, part of the problem of our lack of self-control is by instinct, we don't run to the name of the Lord, we run it to other places. 
But the name of the Lord is a way of just saying, run to the one who is true and who is safe. Uh, Yahweh, your maker. To run into the name of the Lord is to preach truth to yourself. To say, all this stuff is happening. Lord, tell me who you are. To preach it to yourself. To, to remind yourself that, uh, well, this is how it begins. Self-control begins by telling yourself true truth. The reality of who God is as creator, this is not your world to begin with. It's not my stuff that I'm freaking out about with. It's a gift from the God who loves me. Uh, we need to meditate on his power, his sovereignty, his control over history, his forgiveness, his grace, the fact that he has control over his anger. His anger is not just an, uh, an irrational rage, it's controlled. Uh, to, to meditate on his wisdom his love, everything about him, to run into the name of the Lord is to tell yourself the truth about who he is so that when your loves are running out of control, you're, you're actually training your loves to love the one who is beautiful and glorious, the God who is. It's learning to run to the truth of who God is rather than to chocolate or to Netflix or your phone or wherever it is you, you tend to run. It's running by necessity, by instinct, because you know God so well that he is safe. That's what the righteous do. So cultivate self-control. You need a God who is real outside of you, a place to run to, who is safe. And part of, it's why we confess our faith every week is so that we do that. We speak truth together so that you can learn how to speak truth to yourself when you're at home and with other people, with other Christians. But there's a second part. I want to add to running to the name of the Lord. It's not just enough to know who he is. You have to love him. Right? That's, that's what we've talked about all along. You're, you are a lover. Love the one who is true. Because if you love him, it's going to start to control your desires. And if you love him, you're going to live out to do, want to do the things that he loves. I mean, to use the marriage metaphor that we use over and over and over again in Judges, you're remembering that the Lord is your maker, and the Lord of the covenant, your husband, who loves you as his bride. Right? To, to, to preach truth, but also preach his love to yourself. To run into the name of the Lord. Right? You've got to train yourself to love him. And I would stop here to cultivate self-control in your life. Um, right? We could stop here. That's kind of what Proverbs does. It get, just gives you a whole lot of... Uh, Nuggets to meditate on, to chew on. But to cultivate self-control, you need to put a leash on your destructive loves. You have to speak truth to yourself till, until you love the Lord who is and run to him because in him he is safe and he has promised to train your desires to fix your loves. But you need one more thing because this is, this is really complicated. It's, it's simple in some ways, knowing the Lord who is and loving him, but how do you do that? Titus chapter 2 is one of those places that wakes us up and tells us what we have in Jesus. Titus 2, verses 12 to 14. And listen to the love and desire language as I read this. It says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly desires and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, 
to redeem us from our all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous. Zealous, there's passion language for good works. So to tie all this together, what's going to control your loves? Grace. The grace of God who appeared in Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord in the flesh. Uh, the, the, the true and beautiful king. The grace of God. We need these things. That grace is what's going to train your passions. It's going to train your loves because you love a person. I mean, this makes sense, doesn't it? The only way anybody ever changed, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this before. We, there was this guy who was, um, we'll, we'll, just, we'll be kind, he was selfish. He did all kinds of unkind things, and then he met this woman. And all of a sudden, it's like he's a perfect, he's just this model of gentleness and respect, and you wonder, is this really changing, or is this an act? But it turns out, because he loves this woman and he loves her love, he changes. That's what Titus 2 is telling you, is that grace is training you to love what God loves because you love Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, training your passions. How does he do that? Well, Jesus was the perfect man. He took a, he's taken over culture after culture, nation after nation, without ever lifting a sword because of the beauty of self-control he exhibited, loving God and loving his neighbor. He was somebody who wasn't controlled by what he ate. Uh, he, his desires and delight were in doing the will of God, loving his Father and loving sinners. I mean, just and even the end of his life, how much spirit-empowered self-control must Jesus have had to willingly lay down his life for you? to go to the cross, completely controlled by his love for God and his love for sinners. You know where Jesus died, right? Hebrews tells us it wasn't in the city. He knows what it's like to live with a city without walls because he was destroyed outside the city. Hebrews says Jesus suffered outside the city gates in order to change us, to sanctify us by his blood. So on the cross, as Jesus died in love for you, he ran to the name of the Lord, a strong tower, and he had the doors slammed in his face as he became sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He reached out in love, and God said, you are on your own. Because sinners didn't want me, he took the curse. And he did that, Jesus did that, so that we sinners can by grace be brought into and live in the heavenly city, behind the walls, in the fortress, with Jesus, with God. Safe in the city of God, the city of love, ruled and reigned by Jesus. That's the gospel, and the gospel is good news. It's training you to love this Jesus. And that's what Judges was missing. The king who would be the visible picture for God's people to show them how to love God and show them how to love even the least of them when it had no personal benefit to them other than just to do the right thing. That's Jesus. And so, if your life feels like it's out of control, this is, this is how I'm going to conclude here and we're going to come to the table. You have to be strengthened for the journey by the grace and forgiveness and mercy of our God.
It is good to be strengthened by grace, says the writer of the Hebrews. Because when the walls do come crashing down, where are you going to run? To this table for forgiveness. Jesus, who, who still forgives you after you blew it yet again. And this grace, which we're about to eat, it's training you to touch it, to see it, to smell it. Uh, to, it's training you to love Jesus. And this is what we're doing. We're, we're speaking truth. This is who God is in Jesus. But it's, ca- it's t- calling you. This is a love feast to love God and love one another. It's training you to love him and his will so that when we pray in a moment, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you actually want to do God's will because God first loved you. So, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, those saved by grace, run into it and are saved. And the righteous are those whose loves are controlled by Jesus. And what you'll find is the Holy Spirit will start to grow self-control in you. You had help all along. Let's pray. Father, there are those of us here who, uh, well, all of us, to some extent, we are fighting battles against sin and selfishness. And so I pray that your spirit would fill us with a love for Jesus and would control our desires, that we would be constrained and controlled by your love for us. And if there are those who do not yet know you, may they be astonished by a God who loves imperfect people, uh, who who is walking alongside them and and taking the long journey to cultivate self-control in our lives. So teach us as we come to eat to run to Jesus, our strong tower, our fortress, and find safety and refuge in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.